Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. The scripture for this morning's sermon comes from the last chapter of Revelation, the last chapter in the Bible. Beginning with verse 12, uh, we'll skip around some, but end with the final verses of the New Testament. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let everyone who hears say, come, and let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. The one who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. Jesus is coming soon. That's what this scripture that I just read declares. And Jesus in this scripture is speaking in first person for himself. I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. So today, let's talk about the second coming. That's not a sermon you hear from the second Ponce pulpit a lot, is it? But that's what our scripture is about. It's been my experience, though, that this scripture is a favorite for street preachers who seem to kind of combine a little fear and delight in the punishing prospect that Jesus is coming soon and you will be repaid for what you've done. It's also a favorite scripture for people who pay for the scary billboards on the interstate. Have you seen those? When I'm traveling to my dad's house in Greenwood, South Carolina, up along I-85 in northeast Georgia, there are several billboards with a really angry Jesus and flames coming out. And they remind you that Jesus is coming soon And by the way, he don't look happy. I mentioned that I don't hear a lot of sermons out of this, at least from the group that I follow in preaching. I have a kind of sophisticated uh, system in my office for finding all the sermons on a given text that are in my library. So I've got a computer file. I can go to Luke chapter 2 and it'll tell me all the sermons anywhere in my library on Luke chapter 2. If, for instance, I were preaching on uh, John chapter 1, I looked up there, I have 15 sermons in my library on John chapter 1. 
So if I were working on that scripture after I did my own work and scratched a few notes, I would read a few of those sermons to see what preachers ahead of me might have done with the same text. Sometimes I find wonderful quotes to add in or an aha about the sermon. Revelation 22, I went to my list. Revelation 22, one sermon, one. And it was from the middle 1800s in a, on a yellowed page by John Broadus. And even it, though it was in print, I could tell that he was yelling too. Well, the respect for the billboard buyers and the street preachers and the Civil War pastors, I think their interpretation of Revelation 22 is a swing and a miss. This final chapter of Revelation, the final chapter in our biblical witness, is a summary of themes of the book. It does have some overlays of judgment, but the final word is grace. Loud, bold, underlined for emphasis, the final word is grace. As Jesus speaks in this passage, he declares reward, not punishment, affirming that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Nothing lives outside God's embrace and the witness of Christ's love. Blessed are those who wash their robes, he says. Robes are symbols of worthiness. And Jesus declares blessing, not cursing, on those who come to the end worthy and free of stain. The tree of life in this passage echoes the Garden of Eden and proclaims that what was lost in creation is restored in the second coming. Jesus is the bright and morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Those who want water, get water. Anybody who wishes. Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And the response to that in our passage is not dread at all. The response is, amen, come Lord Jesus. I think the billboards got it wrong. The final chapter of Revelation is nothing but good news. The second coming means blessing for those with washed robes, reversal for the sin of the Garden of Eden, beckoning invitation from the bride, and springs of water for anyone, anyone who is thirsty. Come, Lord Jesus. All of that is good news. And then, the final verse, the last verse, verse in the whole book of Revelation, the final verse in all of Scripture, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. The final word is grace. Hear that again. The final word on the human experience and the eternal realm is grace. And the greatest longing in the human heart, so hard to accept, is grace. Gordon MacDonald once said, The world can do almost anything as well as the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do, 
it cannot offer grace. Even though this is the work of the church, let's be clear, the church has has a rather spotty record on this. Church has not been, for all people, a depository of grace. As a Paul Tournier, a Christian uh, doctor in Switzerland, he author also, in his book Guilt and Grace, he said, I cannot study this very serious problem of guilt with you without raising the very obvious and tragic fact that religion, my own as well as that of all believers, can crush instead of liberate. And some of you have been crushed. Some of you have told me the stories and shown me the scars that were left by churches that favored a message of guilt over grace. Churches who declared that Jesus is coming soon and they meant for you to be scared to death by the prospect of it. One of my uncles, one of my uncles was raised in the church and when he became an adult, he left church, uh, left home, but he maintained his churchmanship. He had a short stint in the military, but then came back. He married uh, a Native American Cherokee woman. They moved about an hour away from his home, joined a church in the neighborhood. They had a beautiful baby girl. She was loved into the church. He sang in the choir. They elected him a deacon. And then one day he got up and found a note on the kitchen table His wife missed her Native American family, the Cherokee tribe, the way of life she knew. She left her husband, her small child, and returned to the reservation. He tried several times to contact her. She wouldn't respond uh, to any of those attempts. When the situation became inevitable and the divorce papers complete, his pastor gave him a call, asked him to come by to see him. But his pastor didn't call him in to care for his heartbreak or to talk to him about the terror of raising a child by himself. The pastor called to tell him that because he was divorced, he couldn't serve as a deacon anymore. And to my knowledge, except for weddings and funerals, he has never stepped foot in a church since. The church has not always gotten it right. Sometimes the church preaches Revelation 22 through clenched teeth and with fiery billboards and threats of Jesus' return. But in John's apocalypse, in the vision that's recorded here that we just read together, the final word is grace. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. Let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life. His gift. The longing of the human heart is to be accepted, to be loved, to be favored without earning it, to be graced. We want to be known and loved for who we really are, not who we pretend to be on Sunday morning or who we pretend to be in Buckhead. 
We're thirsty to belong, to be accepted, to have the assurance that we are worthy. And we are so thirsty. We are so thirsty. And in response to our thirst to be accepted and loved, the definitive good news of the gospel is that the final word is grace. The timing of this invitation was terrible. Um, I was invited uh, to go to a fundraising breakfast this past April on the Thursday morning of Holy Week, which is not a good time for a pastor to go to a fundraising breakfast. I did not have the time. Not to mention, I didn't have the money. I get invited to way too many $100 breakfasts and lunches for all of my friends in Atlanta who have good causes they want to support. I didn't want to go, couldn't afford to go, but the invitation came from my friend Sherry Boston, who is the district attorney for DeKalb County, and I simply love Sherry Boston, so I said yes. I found the hundred dollars went to this breakfast I didn't want to go to, sat at a round table full of assistant DAs who were also there at Sherry's invitation. The fundraiser was for the Georgia Center of Child Advocacy, and the featured speaker was a California woman named Rachel Thomas. She was a victim of human trafficking in Atlanta. When she stood from her table to go up to speak, The female assistant DA sitting next to me said, oh my gosh, she is gorgeous. You don't hear that often from a DA. But she was was stunning, tall, regal. She got to the platform to tell her story. She was raised in a Christian home. Her dad was a deacon. Her childhood filled with love and normalcy. She got a scholarship to attend Emory while she was here in Atlanta. She and a bunch of buddies would go to Atlanta nightclubs and go dancing and all of that. One night, a man came up, commented on, how ex- on her exceptional beauty, and sh- he gave her a card. He said, I'm with a modeling agency. You are just who we're looking for. I'd love to have a 10-minute chat with you. And she kind of pushed him off. A little while later in the evening, a young woman came and said, I'm one of the models with the guy who talked to you earlier, and we, I'm here with him. We can't stop looking at you. Would you just give us 10 minutes to talk? Well, Rachel's breakfast talk that morning went 45 minutes. I won't do 45 minutes. I'm skimming through. But she ended up doing some modeling with this company. The first invitation, she took a friend of hers, a big guy, just in case. But she found that the modeling gig was legitimate, professional. So she got called again. Second time she got called, it was to do a a music video shoot. It was legitimate, professional in every way. So she filled out the paperwork with the agent so she could get paid for this fun, lucrative side job that all these little gigs he's lining up for her. But soon the gigs got darker. 
And she noticed that the agent's interactions with the women he represented were unhealthy and sometimes violent. And she was aware too late that she was in an unwholesome system. When he called next to tell her about the next gig that was significantly downstream from being legitimate and professional, she just declined nicely over the phone and, and explained, I, I, it's a bad time in the semester. It's got a lot of studying to do. I just, I can't. Uh, thanks for the... He cursed back into the phone and said, you don't understand. I own you. And he ruffled papers and he said, your parents live at, and called out their address, her home permanent address she had put on the paperwork. You don't want anything to happen to them, do you? Then he called out her address, her local address in Atlanta, and said, you will show up tonight, and if you don't, I'm coming to get you. This began the shame-filled life as a victim of human trafficking. She was so paralyzed by fear she didn't tell her parents back in California. She got deeper and deeper into a life she could not have imagined, and now she could not escape. And when she went back home to California for a short visit, she hardly said a word at dinner, then went to her old bedroom and shut the door, took out a journal, and wrote out her suicide note. It was, she thought, the only way she could escape this pain-filled life. She could not face her parents because of her shame, and her plan was to get up early the next morning, drive far away from the house, and put an end to her disgrace and distress. And then she overslept. Her mom roused her for breakfast. She came to the table. She sat silently staring at pancakes and bacon until her deacon daddy said, Rachel, stand up for a minute. And she was confused by that, but she stood up. And he wrapped his arms around his daughter and said, I don't know what you are into. I do not know what you have done. But whatever it is, it is not anything we cannot forgive. It is not anything God cannot forgive either. And Rachel said that hug saved her life. She's now married, has a daughter, and works full-time to end human trafficking around the world. Well, I looked around my table when she got through. I couldn't see anybody at my table clearly because my eyes were full of tears. But I could make out that every hardened assistant DA at the table was crying into a plate of $100 eggs because we had just experienced together the power of grace to transform a broken life. The final word is grace. Whatever it is that you have done, it is not something that is beyond the forgiveness of God. 
And if you believe that to be true, it will save your life as well. That's the Bible language for this experience of forgiveness and transformation by the love of God in Christ. It's interesting to me that the best, most descriptive language that the writers of Scripture could give to this is you will be saved. One choice is to go on living with the shame of your past and the frightening prospect that Jesus coming soon is a terror-filled proposition filled with judgment and fire. But another choice is to hear the promise that Jesus is coming soon and he brings reward and that those with washed robes can enter the city and eat from the tree of life. The greatest longing in the human heart is grace. And everyone who is thirsty, everyone who is thirsty may drink from the water of life. If you have never experienced the grace of God, the central gift so core to the gospel, the final word of Scripture... You're invited at the time of invitation to come forward and learn more about how thirsty people get to drink from an eternal fountain, the gift of water, the gift of life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.